You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Repack. I'm Justice Mosqueda. I'm joined here by Evan Tex Western. Say what's up, the people text. Hey, man. My body is uh, is very slowly starting to recover from, from a long week in Indy. And I'm sure everybody's sick of hearing my voice, but uh, this will be the last time for, for at least a couple days after this. I have to hit you guys up after the last one because I was like, how, how's the uh, good old <laughs> cardiovascular system working? You guys oh, sound man. very hungover. It was, <laughs> it was just a long, long long week um the guys who can who can go out every night and stay out until 3 3 30 in the morning at the bars and then get up for like player interviews at eight and and do it on three hours of sleep every day i i don't understand how they do it i can't i mean i, I can function on one night's you know short sleep pretty well but uh yeah doing it day after day after day it takes a toll on you. I, I was telling Tyler, I think I caught a cold. I, I tested negative for COVID, so I'm at least good there. But like my body is like, no, you're done. You are you need to sit your ass down and, and rest for a couple of days. If I go on any trip where I'm drinking for more than two days and I'm taking a flight, I am getting sick on that flight. Oh yeah. Like I, there's a hundred percent chance I'm catching <laughs> some sort of a cold on that yep. flight it has happened literally every time i've ever traveled so. it just it wears your body down it wears your immune system down um yeah it, it was it was rough but it, we had a we had a great time we had some uh got some some really interesting nuggets of things um and and you know had a good time making some connections and talking to some of these guys and, and we had a good week let's start with 12 because yep. everything everything starts with 12 the world sure. is waiting on 12 and I, I guess the assumption is that he's going to make the decision on Tuesday, but like, I feel like we assumed that last Tuesday too, to the point yeah. where people were even saying like, you know, I, I think it was uh, Ben Albright who does uh, radio in Denver was saying like, you know, McAfee on Tuesday is going to break like every streaming record. And then Rogers just doesn't show up. So there's been assumptions before that Rogers is going to show up on McAfee and start talking, but he didn't talk last week after showing his face the week before, you know, that's, that's when all the, uh, was it Shaka Karma stuff oh. came out? We still haven't figured out on the NFL show if we're going to do it or not. <laughs> but uh, so what are the vibes right now of him coming back? Where yeah, at? everybody I talked to, for the most part, you know, on the floor in Indy was was of the same mind that, yeah, he's coming back. And and that's just how it is. The one person who seems to kind of think otherwise is Schefter. Um, he was at an event on Thursday night and he said that he thinks it's 50, 50, if he's coming back to green Bay or not. So I don't know if that's just, you know, him trying to ratchet up the drama a little bit or, or what it is, but you know, outside of him, everybody, everybody else thinks that, that he's coming back. And I still, that's still where I'm landing at this point. Everyone, but one person I know is pretty adamant that he's going to come back. And then the other person is just basically like. I don't know. There, there's a lot of things 
coming out and it's it's hard to tell you know it's, it's silly season right now so it's hard to tell what's true or not but i don't know it seems tough to think that rogers would literally be officiating david bakhtiari's wedding on saturday and then on tuesday say i'm leaving the team right i mean that, it, would, it, that single data point alone that seems weird right that'd be crazy absolutely absolutely crazy like bach would still be on his honeymoon at that point yeah. like imagine getting that push notification <laughs> like uh, i don't know man um we have some other stuff to talk about too uh aaron negler talked about how jair alexander he's probably going to get extended that there's talks about that and then i think it was either Rappaport or Schefter. i can't remember which one of the uh the the newsbreakers got it but they, they basically confirmed that uh a day or two later and yep. then you said you talked to someone that said a pressing contract is potentially you know on the horizon and that makes yep. a lot of sense. That's something we've talked about as, you know, a path to restructure everyone's deals to be able to get Devontae and Rogers back in a, a Preston restructure, if not release probably has to come to. Yeah, completely. His, his cap hit for 22 as of right now is like 19 million. Uh, it's only a little bit short of that for Zedarius this year. So at some point, you know, there, there's gotta be some change coming between now and, you know, a week from Wednesday on the 16th when when the league year starts, because that's got to be one of those ways that uh, that the Packers can trim off some cap hits somehow. But yeah, I would not be surprised if they, you know, maybe they tack on another year onto his deal into 23, um, add a couple of void years, you know, keep spreading out a little bit of money um, and, and kind of go that route. Because as we've said so many times, Packers don't have a real true edge setter if Preston's gone. Um I, I do kind of wonder if they play that game with him. What they do with him depends, again, as everything else does on Rodgers. If Rodgers doesn't come back, you know, you're not, you're not probably not looking at this as being a contending team. And at that point, you might just be better off, you know, cutting bait, moving on, you know, getting that $12 million in the bank um, that you would get in, in cap space from releasing him. But certainly if he's coming back, I think it, it makes sense to, to make sure that you've got, you know, your two edge guys back. Uh, from last year and and can still put a, a really solid defensive unit uh, on the field. And to to give the people kind of an overview of the the Packers cap situation right now, what's important isn't really the numbers because the numbers can be manipulated so much, but here are the guys who have a base salary of over $4 million, which salary is really what can be moved around, right? right. Once you, once you convert a player salary into a bonus, he's set for the year and we've already seen that with uh kenny and there was another one who else was it it was uh, kenny and aaron, aaron jones. jones and and bakhtiari yeah oh, those and three bakhtiari. Guys. i forgot yep. there was, it was three of them um so these are kind of the guys who their deals can still be manipulated right aaron Rodgers, obviously at, at 26 and a half million dollars you would think that that base salary is going to go down i i don't know where you're at on this but i would think that any sort of Aaron Rodgers deal has to be we're tearing up this contract right now. If you think of it that way. And then it's either a two or three year deal with uh, um, void years at the end yep. of it. So you're still yeah. paying him once he becomes a free agent or he retires or whatever, like you're, yep. you're still going to be on the hook for some of that money in the same way the saints were uh, after breeze in the same way the Patriots were after Tom Brady, like that's just the cost of business for, for these aging quarterbacks. If you want them to be paid at the top of the market and still have a contending team around them, like that's yeah. the situation there. 
hundred percent. Yeah. There's, there's no other way to do it. You've got to get, you've got to move off that 46 mil number. And, and yeah, the way to do that is to, to shift a whole bunch of that base uh, into a bonus, essentially make it a, a new three-year deal. I think with two void years is, is what I, what I'm expecting to see. The other guys are Zadarius Smith, who's uh, posting photos from Baltimore, Gone. which is interesting. Um, I, I think the Zadarius thing is just like, can you get anything back for him in a trade? And yeah. if not, he's going to be released. I, I think it's pretty simple there. Um, Jair at, at, th- at 13 million, you know, obviously that's a deal where if you could rework that, you could probably get him on some sort of contract where his cap hits probably like $4 million or less, you know, in, in year one. And, and that will save you $9 million plus that's an extension. You want to log Jair up. So I, I would think that that's something where it's like, you go to him, talk to him about the price point. If it's just completely out of your ballpark, then you have to start thinking about potentially trading, right? Just in terms right. of the cap situation that they're in. But if not, like just sign him up, extend him. Yep. And, and he ends up being cheaper in the short term. I, I know cap space and cash is just like completely divorced now, but, but it would be the smart move on, on both ends of it. I think. Are, are you, are you off the trade? Uh, trade bandwagon with Jair I know you were kind of uh, sort of advocating for it a little bit a couple weeks ago look if (laughs) there is still a nightmare scenario I think where it's Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded him and Devontae want to play together and that is the nightmare right the nightmare is them both saying no we are a package deal you have to then figure something out and that nightmare scenario might be we have to trade Aaron Rodgers quick we have to trade Jair to create cap space and then we're tagging Devonte Adams so that we could then trade him later on and, and move him for picks because they still are going to have to, there, there's no sort of mechanism in the NFL where you can tag Devonte Adams before the first day of the year, not have him count against the cap and then be able to trade him, right? Like you still have yeah. to create the cap space to tag Devonte to then trade him. So I guess that might be something to wait on with like the Jair Jair contract, but I don't know. And then, and then the other guys, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, Billy Turner, Dean Lowry. I think those are all contributors on the team that can potentially be moved, you know, based off of their price point and based off of, you know, depth elsewhere in the roster. Um, But those are guys that would be very high on the list of like, Hey, would you like to talk about a two-year extension, take a little bit less money in terms of year to year salary and we give you, you know, some void years at the end of it because it's just going to be full scorched earth if we do bring Rodgers and Devontae back. Like, those are the guys you have those conversations with. The yep. funny thing to me, Cobb hasn't been released yet, and Cobb is – he's going to make $8 million in salary. There's there's no way, right? There's no, no chance. Way. No, no. I think I think they, they have to have already had that conversation with Cobb where it's like, okay, if Rodgers comes back, we're you're taking a pay cut if you want to stay or you know or we're cutting you like there's there's i I don't see a a way that you can feasibly keep him on the roster at anything much more than a uh like a veteran minimum salary at this point and it's it's weird too because you would think that if you're trying to do if you're trying to do Cobb right you would already have released him so he could already be visiting with these teams like if you're Cobb's agent you don't want him still being, you know, controlled by the Packers at this point. Like it all comes back to twelve. Does, I know, is twelve like, going to come back? Is, does he want point. him around? Like I, I don't know. I, I think if he if he pulls the same thing he did this summer, 
then he talks to Randall. You know, if he comes back, he talks to Cobb, says, I want you back. And then talks to the front, eh, the front office and says, you know, how do we make this work? Front office says, well, we cut him and then we re-sign him to like a, you know, a one-year vet min deal. I think I could see that happening, but yeah, there, I, there's no way that he's playing on an $8 million base salary. No chance. And here are all the guys who are on a salary of less than 5 million to basically 1.2 million. Elton Jenkins, rookie deal. Rashawn Gary, rookie deal. Mason Crosby, specialist, might get moved, frankly, mm-hmm. released. Retired. Um, say, safety, Darnell Savage, he's on a rookie deal. And then quarterback Jordan Love. So it's it's like those really are like those eight guys that we talked about before we started talking about this group of five. Yeah, Those eight guys are really the only guys whose like deals you can even manipulate at this point. And it really it has to be like all hands on deck. Everything gets done in the la- the next couple of weeks to be able to get that done. And I know, I know, you know, Goody was even talking about in the press conference, he was saying he, he thinks this team is like built to compete, you know, no matter who's at quarterback, but they still want Rogers back. And it's like, mm. dude, I, I don't buy that. I, I think if, if Rogers is gone, Zadarius, Preston, Cobb, Turner, Lowry, like it's just release them and, and yeah. just try to make it easier for, for the rebuild. I would think, that, you know, Amos. That's exactly where I'm at. That's kind of what I was getting at with Preston earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Amos is the interesting one. Cause I think mm-hmm. Amos is good enough and still like young enough that like, you might just like want to try to extend him in, in the same way you try to extend Jair to just kind of build out the future. But the other guys, I mean, I, I, I don't know if, Preston, Turner, Lowry, Smith are 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 worth void years into 2024. Like that's yeah, not not if not if you're bringing Jordan Love in as your starting quarterback. That's and that's another thing, man. I <laughs> look. I have talked to people. I have talked for, for kind of for the NFL show, honestly, the the SB Nation NFL show that I'm on, trying to figure out kind of like what the quarterback market is. One. People are going to be shocked at how much guys like uh, Mitch Trubisky get. Yeah. Marcus Mariota is going to have multiple suitors. Um, there's a good chance if you look at the market, Andy Dalton could very well start 17 games for an NFL. Oh my God. Like it is going to be a well, big time desperation at quarterback. And I think if the based off of like the agents that I've talked to, who also represent other quarterbacks, they think Green Bay would be in the quarterback market if Rodgers does leave. They, mm-hmm. they don't think that they're just going to toss the keys to love. It would be yeah. something like signing a Marcus Mariota, having them battle it out. And then frankly, if Mariota wins it in the summer, love might never start another game. If you know, Mariota's healthy or whatever. Yep. Yeah. It, you mentioned Trubisky too. Um, I talked to multiple people this week in Indy who think that uh, Trubisky to Washington is a real possibility that he's the commies starting quarterback for, uh, for 2022 which I, I can I can see that one making sense. Look, the, Gi- the Giants might be in the market for him. As yeah. quiet as it's kept, I mean, Dayball just came from Buffalo and they didn't pick up yeah. the uh, fifth-year option for Daniel Jones. Like, I think that's probably the most under-talked about quarterback uh, situation right now in the league because Tua at least has some backing from the franchise in that, like, they're going to finally, like, give him some space to breathe a little bit and – if yeah. he fails, he fails, and they're going to move on quick, right? Like, they're not going to wait around on him beyond this year. But Daniel Jones is the one where they're like, no one who was here when you were drafted is, like, advocating for you because they all got fired. So, like, 
they just might full on full on change it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's gonna be tough. Uh, it's gonna be weird when like Teddy Bridgewater is like released because of his cap situation, <laughs> and Carson Wentz is released, and then some teams end up. You know, it's a it's a game of musical chairs, and they're like, well, this chair isn't great, but it's the only one that's left, right? Right. So, <sighs> it'll be tough. Um, combine impressions. Talk about it. Yeah. The I want to touch on a couple of things that we, we noticed from the player pressers um, like 85% of these guys are really boring or just overly polished and overly rehearsed. And um, you know, you can tell that they've practiced every, every answer to every question, but the other 15% of guys or so just, they, they just let it go. They show their personality. They have a, a ton of fun in the pressers and, and they just, you know, they just have a blast. And it's, it's those 15% that I was trying to, kind of find so a couple of those guys that uh jumped out to me in the last couple of days i mean i did the write-up on thomas booker from stanford he's one of them matt ariza the punt god from san diego state he was really cool uh lewis seen the the safety from georgia uh, just awesome awesome guy really engaging um and then again can go back and can talk about all the guys that, that we've talked to talked about on the, the mini pods the last couple of days but it is just it's it's interesting to see which guys let their personality show through and uh, and which of these players are just, you know, basically coached to be robots in front of the media and, and not really show anything. Um, one of the guys that I really liked was an Oregon guy, uh, Veron McKinley, the safety. Yes, sir. Um, awesome guy. Awesome guy. Can tell he's going to be a fantastic leader, fantastic locker room guy. He was talked. Somebody asked him about his leadership style and he talked for like two minutes on, you know, how he's got three, three Veron McKinley's. He's got the, uh, the playmaker on the field, the, like the teacher and the, the, the guide and the leader in the locker room. Um, and, and so, uh, so he was really, really engaging and it's fun to, to find those guys and, and kind of pick them out in each group that comes out. Um, and along those interviews, like every interview, there's, three or four people who say, all right, have you met with team X? Have you met with team Y? <laughs> they've and met just, with everyone. And, they, and, and they've literally met with everyone. Yes. They're everybody in some form meets, or fashion, either exactly at, at, at a, a pro day, the combine, a private senior bowl, visit, the senior right. bowl, the shrine game, they, they meet them all. They meet them all at some point. Yeah. So, so I, we, we just, Oh, we get so sick of those questions. And, and I've, I've, Anytime you hear one of those, it's like, oh, this must be your first time at the combine, huh? <laughs> so that one's uh that one's rough. But then again, the the thing that that I just keep coming back to is, you know, the the networking piece of it is is such a huge piece of this entire event. But um I just can't can't understand some of these guys are just built different uh to be able to be out at you know at at the Marriott and and the the various restaurants and steakhouses around downtown Indianapolis until three and 4 AM every morning. I, I just, I can't wrap my head around it. I can't bring myself to, to manage to, to, to do that more than once or twice. Again, you shouldn't be drinking more than three days in a row or more than yeah. two days. Honestly, the, the body just gives up on you at some point. Yep. Um, let's take a break here and then uh, we'll talk about position groups uh, specifically at the combine. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. All right. So we have wide receivers here first. Who are the guys who stood out to you? Yeah, the the big workout, the, the, the shocking workout to me was Kevin Austin Jr. out of Notre Dame. Um, somebody who really, I think, was was not very much on a lot of people's radar certainly was a name that I only really knew because I was flipping through the the list of players that were coming out to the podiums but he lit it up uh 6'3 200 so he's right around the the Packers size um uh weight wise right right on, the, on that 200 mark but 44340 uh one of basically the only guy to run the agilities at the wide receiver position and run them well so only guy who is under a 695 in the three cone he ran a 671 and a pretty good shuttle. And then he, he had a 39 inch vertical and an 11 foot broad jump, which were um, both among the best numbers at that position. So I think that's the guy that people are going to go back and, and look at a little bit more. He was, in, he was interesting because he had a, a really good senior season at Notre Dame, but he was suspended for all of 2019 uh, by the school. And then he missed most of 2020 with a broken foot. So I think that kind of you know drove him down the boards a little bit. And um, it'll be interesting to see where, where he goes. But we, we mentioned him as a uh, as the, the Jeff Janis Award winner on last uh, yesterday's pod. Um, and I think just that that workout uh, may have earned him a little bit of money. Um, one guy who stood out to me, I didn't know anything about him coming into this. Isaiah Weston. Yeah, so he, he's six, three and a half. He's going to be listed at six, four, ran a four, four, two, 40 yard dash, 40 inch vertical. He's. 214 pounds so he does all the big body stuff that you know the Packers are going to want from a wide receiver um he averaged 20 plus yards per reception at Northern Iowa. like what are these guys getting fed at Northern Iowa so we got Penning the, <laughs> yep. the freak tackle who's like 6'9 runs like the wind we got uh this Weston and then we got to remember this is Northern Iowa that has put out one two three four five draft picks in the first five rounds of the draft since 2015 that includes yep. Spencer Brown last year the other six, nine offensive tackle is playing for the bills now. And, you know, uh, David Johnson at running back. So it's like these like FCS programs that, that conference that, you know, North Dakota state, um, South Dakota state and Northern Iowa plan, they're damn near put out better prospects than like the Mac even at this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. I don't know if it's the, the, the talent from that upper Midwest plain States. I don't know where they find some of these guys. I mean, this is, you mentioned a lot of those tackles, but they're finding skill position guys too. I mean, they got Trey Lance, Lance in there. Yeah, exactly. And you Trey know, Lance did, had what, like a Boise offer and stuff like that. And he was like, Nope, I'll go to North Dakota state. It's like, yeah. all right, go for yeah. it. So good, good for them. It's, it's fun to see, you know, some of this, 
talent coming from from some of these lower levels of football. And I mean, along those lines, North Dakota State's got a great receiver this year too, and in, in Christian Watson, he he had one of the best workouts uh, of anybody this uh, at this year's combine. Six four two oh eight, ten inch hands, and uh, you know a four three six, and and jumped out of the gym too, thirty eight and a half inch vertical. So that's that's right along that like MVS size, MVS speed, pretty much right there too. I think MVS was a four three seven guy. Um, so you almost wonder. Can he, can, you know, could the Packers find a way to get him on day two and just plug him right into that MVS role? And I think MVS is gone, by the way. After talking yeah. to people, you know, who kind of know what the wide receiver market is going to be, one, they don't expect any of these top guys to be out there. So they think, you know, especially after it was announced that like Mike, Mike Williams is basically going to get tagged, the, the top wide receiver of the free agent market is going to be a Mark Cooper who is just, mm-hmm. you know, is going to get released, right? And then after that, it's going to get real dark real fast. And MVS is a guy, he might be able to haul in like eight to $12 million per year, which sounds nuts for a guy who I think is like never cracked like 600 or something like that. 600 yards. Obviously he had to deal with injuries and stuff like that, but he does have speed teams love speed. He's going to be like the only guy out there (laughs) that can do it. So like someone's going to pay for it. So I, I just think MVS just, he's gone. He's gone, guys. He's already yeah. out. Um, another guy you have here listed is Alex Pierce, who I thought was really interesting. So I watched a good amount of him, even though I didn't have him graded out for our uh, you know wide receiver pod that we did uh, with Tyler. I didn't grade him out because I, I hadn't seen him fully, but I watched a lot of him because I was watching Ritter. He is a big body guy who like he is physical and acrobatic, but he doesn't create a lot of separation. Yeah. I assumed he was going to be a four or five guy. I was told coming into the combine, he definitely is going to run a 4-4, and I was actually kind of surprised about that. And then he ended up running like 4-3 something, right? So 4-3-3, yeah. I I kind of worry he's like the fool's gold type of guy, where it's like very like Andy Isabella-like, where you're like, oh, that guy can't really separate, but he's going to get drafted in the second round off Mm -hmm. of what he did at the combine. The the benefit, I guess, at least that he's got over Isabella is – He's 6'3, 211. Isabella was what, like 5'8, 5'9. Um, so that's you know, he, he's at least got that going for him. But yeah, those those agility times that he put up were fine, nothing particularly special. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm again, I'll have to do the same and, and watch a little more of him coming back, but um, yeah, not super familiar with him. Uh, so so we'll have to see what that looks like and, and where he ends up going. Two surprises for me at the wide receiver position. One, George Pickett showed up at 195 pounds. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to be 205, somewhere around there. So that I think he can bulk up and certainly yeah. run blocking is not an issue. He's not a guy I would take off of the Packers board at all. Like in terms of thinking about him as like a Packers type of player, even though he is a smaller type of guy. Um, the other one was uh, Traylon Burks. So we talked a lot about him and, all the pun, Paul Bunyan stories, right? About <laughs> his hands are so big, he has to like wear crazy gloves. And then his hands were big, but like nothing, nothing freaky. Um, yep. And then we thought, you know, he could potentially run, you know, like a four four flat or something like that. He ends up running a four five five. Um, he pretty clearly was like visibly shaken up when he was running the forty. Like his second attempt, he was messing with his hands for like a full minute. They had to move the table that delayed even more. And then they had to yell at a lady in the stands and tell her to move. So he was down there, like in his head, messing around, like messing with his hands for like 
two minutes, like just getting ready to get set. And I wouldn't be surprised if he runs better at his pro day, but that certainly yep. was disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. That was a surprise. Um, I think we all expected him to, to test great and, and still four, five, five for a guy who's six two two twenty five. Um, that's not bad, but no. it, we'll just all have right. to see what, uh, um, like you said, I, I'll be very curious to see what when Arkansas's pro day comes along, what he ends up running there. I just thought he had the potential to be wide receiver one in this class, honestly, yeah. because Jamison Williams is coming off of the ACL. But then after Olave and uh, Garrett Wilson ran what they run, I, I I just don't think it can happen for him. And I know, uh, you know, Drake London has a ton of fans. He hasn't run yet uh, because of that ankle. The, the interesting thing I've heard, the Packers actually like Olave, apparently. And mm-hmm. that kind of surprises me like i understand they need like a speed guy he would he would help a lot i like him a lot like he's one of the top three receivers in this draft class to me i just did a mock draft and he was available at 28 and i was like plug it in don't have to think about it for a a second time the the one thing though is 90 percent of their snaps over the last two years have come from wide receivers who are 205 and bigger and it seems like that's kind of the mantra of the team you got to remember omari rogers is the first wide receiver of that size who was drafted in this past draft class um them turning turning down the opportunity to trade up for a jefferson and guys like that like i think some of that does come back down to size and the fact that these wide receivers kind of their primary job still on a down-to-down basis is like we're blocking for Devonte and we're blocking in the run game like if you just look at yeah. it from a volume perspective they're not running routes as many as as much as some other teams like especially like think about them compared to a washington or is it like these gun teams um it's a totally different ask of that I, position. Yeah. And I think if, if you had Olave out there to, to pair up with Adams, I think that fundamentally change has forces Matt LaFleur to change a little bit of the philosophy of, of his offense. Um, I don't think so. I think, you, and I, I kind of wonder yeah. like if Olave is like a post Devonte thing, like, is that yeah. something that they're looking at? Like, yeah. cause if Devonte is gone, there's no need for all of those big wide receivers, right? Because you're not going to be running screen game. Because mm-hmm. as much because your wide receiver catching those screens isn't Devontae Adams, who's the best at it in the league, and the quarterback isn't going to be Aaron Rodgers, who has the quickest trigger in the league, right? So that yeah. would fundamentally change the offense really quickly. I, I just wonder, would they draft Olave if Rodgers and Devontae comes back? Because that's that's where I start having questions, and I'm like, okay, what does this offense look like then? Yep, yep, makes sense. Um, one thing I talked about, you had uh, this running backs now. No agilities at all. Not a single one of them ran them. The agents that I talked to are fed up with this combine schedule. Yeah. Like, they are tired of it. And we heard it from uh, Kayvon Thibodeau basically talked about it on Saturday was when they had it. Yep. Um, a- after he ran the 40, he was just like, no, nah, it's getting too late. Like, I don't want to, like, have to uh, stretch out again and, like, have to do all these things. Like, the fact that the NFL really has pushed the combine into prime time. And it's such a long day for these guys starting in the morning, you know, through the end of day testing. That is the agility drills. Cause they wait until the very end to do the most arguably most important drills of the entire mm-hmm. day. It's just not worth it for a lot of these guys. There, there were, they made a huge deal about Kayvon Thibodeau not running. Um, and then they had five total defensive ends do <laughs> any of the agility drills. And it's like, they're just going to opt out. And if the NFL is going to keep yep. having this in prime time, these guys just are simply not going to run until, until their pro days. And like, 
that sucks for everyone involved. Like even as like a hashtag content creator, right? We couldn't even talk about really like the big winners and losers at the combine because so many guys held hey, out. You've, you've only so, got, so you know, two thirds or half of the throws. information that you need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I know the NFL really wants to make it an event. Um, the NFL doesn't have it on ABC anymore. So like, I don't understand why you have to have it on prime time for the NFL network in the off season. I guess some of it probably comes down to like, uh, I don't know. There, there were rumors recently about Apple potentially being in the market for um, NFL network and uh, what is it called? Sunday ticket. So yeah. like, maybe it's something like that where they're like, Hey, we could look, look at our viewership numbers. Like we could prove it like prime time. We can like do it in March when there's no football going on. Maybe it's something like that, but this sucks for everyone involved. Keep it in Indianapolis, take it out of prime time. Seems like that's what literally everyone but the NFL wants. Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, every media member you talk to um, says that every, every team uh, team official you talk to says that. And, and obviously the agents say it too. Um, and, and this all really started that, that two years ago, the combine in 2020, when they first started moving those drills into prime time for this reason, for the TV ratings and stuff. Um, that was when you started seeing uh, the second half of the guys, the defensive guys, I think there was, you know, it, it was the defensive backs that really saw all of the poor agility times that the, the running backs and the receivers put up earlier in the week. Cause those offensive guys always, you know, they always come in and do their testing first. Um, the DBs saw, you know, all these guys working late and, and I think their agents saw the same thing and said, no, don't run, don't run now. And I, I made this point, you know, to a number of different people that, this is really, you know, the combine is a glorified job interview for 300 guys, right? Right. That's what it's about. That's, that's the whole purpose of this. And it's every facet of that job interview. That's, that's important. It's talking to the media, it's talking to the, the teams, you know, making your case as a person to, to the teams and, and showing them your football IQ. And then it's going out and showing what you can do physically. And by changing around the schedule like this and, and putting this in prime time, the NFL is absolutely doing a disservice to, to these players um, when it comes to, to that on-field portion of this. And, and I think it's, it's disappointing. It's frustrating. Um, moving it out of Indy would only make it worse because of just the, the perfect setup that you have in Indianapolis with the convention center there for, for all the meetings, the media stuff, a lot of the testing, um, the stadium for the, the athletic testing, and then you've got all the hospitals right there to to do the the medicals and stuff so um no none of the other places that they're talking about having this have all of that stuff in one location they don't have it in dallas they don't have it in la la is so spread out with the the nfl's complex and and sofi stadium and everything you know these guys are gonna have to take a bus or something for an hour just to to get between different facilities whereas they can walk you know, five, 10 minutes at the most to, to get between every facility they need to get to in Indianapolis. And so, um, you know, every, every meeting member talked about it. Uh, Tyler and I went to Peter King's uh, meetup at, at Sun King Brewery on Thursday. And that was the first thing that he said was he opened up with a, about a 10 minute spiel on how Indianapolis does this so well. And obviously he's kind of pandering to the home crowd a little bit, because there's a lot of just fans that show up from Indy. But um, he's right that that nobody is going to be able to to handle this event uh, the same way that Indianapolis does. And I really hope that it stays there moving forward. But I don't believe that it will because the NFL is all about the dollar and somehow they're going to find a way to squeeze every every penny 
uh, out of the stone that is the the combine and somehow they're going to find a way to justify you know moving it to to dallas or, or la um and and getting more money out of it but the thing the thing too is i i hesitate to figure out how you make more money off of it right so like yeah indianapolis everything is i mean i mean think of just cost of living right in los angeles to indianapolis think about the cost of being able to put all these people in hotels all that stuff right like yeah. this is kind of what indianapolis does right their whole thing is like we're kind of like midwest vegas in terms of like the convention scene right yep gen, gen cons there every fall you've got both big 10 basketball ter- championships women and men um, they do so many big events and they do them so well they that's, just hosted that's a, a national point. championship game right at the college level like yeah this, this, it's an event city for for as much as you know People maybe not necessarily think of it as like a vacation destination that like maybe LA or like Miami or something like that is or New Orleans. I'm I'm just kind of thinking of Super Bowl sites now. Um, it is a, a convention city and like an event city. And yeah, I I just I I wonder if it's the rotating combine is just another way for the NFL to say to taxpayers like, hey. If you fund a stadium, like here's another event that you can host if you get a brand new stadium. Like maybe you can't yeah. host, you can't host the Super Bowl, but like what if you could host the combine and look how many people come into town for this? And like all that stuff just sucks so bad. Like that, all that, like <laughs> using taxpayer money. This is one of Paul's points, right? When we were talking about the uh, Packers um, uh, shareholder sale, where it was like, look, we're not stealing the tax money of like any of any of the people, you know, locally to be able to fund the stadium it's all coming naturally through either just like organic fan support basically or uh stock sales and right. this is just another thing that sucks um offensive yeah. linemen something that didn't suck so yeah. many of them did well in the agility drills they're like the one group that as a whole ran the agility <clears throat> drills and did it well yeah yeah it's it's crazy how many of these guys you know hit the the traditional packers numbers that you've been you know, putting out there so much for, for so long now. Um, and how many day three guys too? Like, that's the crazy part to me. I, you know, I, I mentioned it the other day uh, in 2020, there were six guys that hit it. And four of those six were day one or day two prospects. Um, and one of the other two was John Runyon, uh, who obviously is a Packer now and is a starter this year. It's what 13. And of those 13, I think it was nine are day three prospects. Like this is insane. This is crazy. Yeah. And, that's only of those who ran right there was another yeah. one uh burford the utsa guy he only ran one of the drills he ran the sh- he ran the shuttle but didn't run the cone but like a lot of these guys who you would think that would be at the top of the board like uh what's his name evan neal from bama he, he might be you know the top tackle drafted you know in in this class top offensive lineman in general um he didn't run and then uh I forget his name, the Iowa center. He's, he's the top center in this. Uh, Linderbaum. Yeah. Linderbaum. They talk about him. Like he's, I haven't seen him, but they talk about him. Like he's sort some sort of like generational center prospect and he didn't run either. So you, you would think that those two guys are, if not likely a, a pretty solid bet to, to come into uh, yeah. this conversation that the guys that in the first two days of the draft, there's only four of them again, of the, of the 13, it's Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa, who we talked about a little bit. Zion Johnson from Boston College. He's a guard, but he has played tackle. Um, Petting also played tackle. Uh, Bernhard Ryman, who I believe only played tackle at Central Michigan after converting from tight end. 
And then Abraham Lucas, who is a tackle only at Washington State, he played in an air raid offense that then transitioned into a run and shoot offense. So he he kind of needed this because he was kind of the bigger projection out of any of these guys. After that, the nine guys left on the list are all day three guys. I looked at the consensus board. The, the fifth highest guy is 143rd overall, and that's Alex Lindstrom, <laughs> the center from Boston College. The other thing to note, the Packers very much value having positional flexibility to some extent. Every single one of their guys, other than, I believe, Lindsley, drafted in the first five rounds since Ted Thompson took over in 2005, had played tackle at some point. I think, in their I think Myers, Myers is the only other one. Oh, my, think, Myers. So. Myers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. yeah. I, I got it. Yeah. Myers and it's the Ohio state centers and then everyone else is a tackle. Cause even guys like JC Treader played tackle to a certain extent. Elton Jenkins got reps to tackle Uh, TJ Lang, Josh didn't play tackle at the college level. Like this is kind of what they do. Um, Every single one of them other than Lindstrom had played tackle at some point. And most of them, every single one of them on day three, except for the Fordham tackle, which I, I have not broken down Fordham film had all had all played another position other than tackle too. So this is like eight, like if you're talking about like, if you were to build a class, an offensive line class for the Green Bay Packers yep. in the situation they're in, it looks like this. It's deep in athletic guys who play tackle and other positions in day three. That yeah. That's where they're going to be targeting these guys. So I'm really sure. excited about these. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I have nothing to add that pretty much covers it it's i was happy just personally to to see wisconsin's logan bruss on that list uh as a wisconsin alum um yeah he he had i think he was top five top, uh in both the the shuttle and the cone times too but i do kind of wonder if um the o-line group did all their workouts first before the running backs did and i i it does seem like if you're in that last group your agent's telling you not to run um, but maybe that's why we got a decent amount of the offensive linemen who who went ahead with it, with with doing their agilities. Yeah, and there are, again, just because I've talked to agents enough, I have like this context. There are a lot of people who will just pull certain drills based off of like the order that you have to like run these type of things. So like some agents won't let their guys run the 40 if they do the vertical jump first, mm-hmm. right? Like stuff like that, because those in these big groups right like you look at uh the wide receivers for example there's so many wide receivers you can't time in terms of time you you can't not split them up and have them do different things at the same time so half of them are going to do the the jumps and stuff before they do the verticals or before they do the 40 time and half of them are going to do the 40 time before the verticals and that does end up deciding like who participates you know often and yep i don't know man there just has to be a more efficient way to be able to do some of the stuff and some of these drills, frankly, can can probably be cut out. Yeah. Uh, edge rushers, you just have Trayvon Walker, Dominique Robinson. So we were talking about Dominique Robinson before we uh, got on the air. Tell me, tell me about his background. Tell the people his background. Actually, yeah. So, so Robinson was a high school quarterback who played, came into college as a wide receiver. Um, went to Miami, Ohio. Uh, came in as like two hundred twenty pounds. So you know, big receiver, but then moves to defensive end between his sophomore and junior year before 2020. Um, Miami plays three games in 2020 because of COVID. 
And so he's basically got 15 games of experience uh, as a defensive end under his belt. But um, now he's he waited at six foot five, 253, 33 and a quarter inch arms. Uh, so, so real good size. Went out and, and threw up a 41 inch vertical and in in over a 10 foot broad jump. And, and which ran. like would be good for receivers who are yeah. 70 pounds lighter than him. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's those are elite explosiveness to, uh, numbers, and then a, a pretty damn good four four point seven two forty. So he tested really well. Um, really cool guy, um, just an interesting dude. He got married the weekend before going and playing at the Senior Bowl. So I asked him like, what, "When are you guys gonna go on a, on your honeymoon?" He's like, "It's it's not happening until after my rookie year, but we're sometime next spring. We're going someplace far, far, far away." So it, he, he was a great guy to talk to. Um, but yeah, I was excited to see him him test well, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because I've seen him going as high as day two in in hmm. some some mocks and some um, some evaluations. I gotta watch him. Uh, add yeah. another one to the list. Uh, yeah. Trayvon Walker. You don't you don't have a whole lot of film to watch on him though, so so yeah. at least it shouldn't take it too much time. But yeah, Trayvon um, Walker. God, George, love Georgia him. guy. Love oh. him. He's gonna be a top ten pick, man. Like, yeah, there's there's no chance he's getting a twenty eight. <laughs> so he's a big guy, freak athlete. I think he he was a four nine nine RAS guy, so relative athletic score. Um, or like a no nine nine nine, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, nine 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 nine. Did <laughs> yeah. I say four nine nine? Oh, you did. No. Oh no. Um, so Trayvon Walker played. I think this is why I thought four. He played a lot of four eye at Georgia, which like mm. so four eye is inside leverage of the tackle um, in terms of your technique on the defensive line. A lot of these, if you want to look it up, they're called mint, mint and tight, T-I-T-E, fronts. Um, a lot of these SEC teams are running that now, which is basically like, think of kind of like a bear front that only has like one edge rusher, which is kind of like mm. weird to think about, mm. but it's how they run their nickel stuff. And they just blitz the hell out of it. And they dissuade inside run, which is, you know, if you're going against gun teams, there's not really that much more you can run other than like inside zone, outside zone. And it messes up with these zone, uh, these zone plays a lot. So he was kind of playing out of position in like the Solomon Thomas type of role. If you guys remember him from Stanford, he basically played that for Georgia. I think he's going to be a lot better on the outside. I, I, yeah. I think you watch him move. Even when he was doing the linebacker drills, he moves like a safety dude. And he, he's doing this at like 270 something pounds. I think well, he, he cemented himself as, the next guy in the edge class. If he, I probably would take George Karloftis from Purdue over him, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes higher than Karloftis on draft day. And the Ojabo stuff, like he's on a lifeline to be drafted in the top five in, in, in this edge class. Yeah. Well, you said he Walker moves like a safety. I mean, he tested like a safety. He ran a four, five, one, uh, three cone sub seven at six, five and 272 pounds. Like what, what, that's almost Rashawn Gary-esque numbers from, from him. Actually, he, he ran a f- faster 40 than Gary did. Um, the rest of his numbers weren't quite quite Gary numbers. but um, And that's kind of a similar pathway for him, too, because didn't Gary kind of play, um, you know, more of like a like a five-tech, a four-tech at Michigan, too, if I remember right? Yeah, he, he did a ton of that. Yeah. This Georgia front in general yeah. freaks. So let's talk oh about my God. the interior line, Jordan Davis. Jeez. Just like maybe the most impressive combine performance ever. Like I, size, yeah. it's yep. It's hard. Like you even compare him to guys like Haloni Nada and guys like Don Terry Poe. And it's like, no, he it's not like you put the numbers against each other and you're like, no, it's it's him. It's Jordan Davis. Um yeah. 
and if we weren't talking about him, we talk about his teammate uh, Wyatt, who also had I, I think you ran a four seven something as a defensive lineman. You know the D line numbers. It's really like five flat or better is like pretty good for like a defensive tackle type of prospect. We had a good amount of these guys, like every single one of them on the defensive front look good. I think all the edge rushers other than the South Carolina guy, you know, near the top of the draft look good. So yeah, this is going to be pushing up, you know, front, front seven, uh, front seven defenders up the board. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the Packers do with defensive tackle because, you know, I was coming in thinking, all right, they only really take nose tackles, like super hyper athletic nose tackles uh, in the first round. They don't they don't really go for um, like the three, four ends, the three techs, the five techs in in the first round or even on even on day two very much. It's mostly been day three guys. You know, you think back to Kiki and Lowry and Mike Daniels and all those guys were fourth, fifth round picks. Um, I just I kind of wonder if they're going to you know, maybe put a, a little more higher priority and try to grab one of these guys on day two of the draft. Currently, they have four total defensive linemen under contract. It's Kenny Ugh. Clark, Dean Lowry, who might get moved. We already talked about that. TJ Slayton, who had some glimpses as a rookie. And then Jack Heflin, who they like adamantly just actively did not play despite rostering him the entire season. So if, if Lowry is moved on from... Heflin is now a starter, right? In terms of the dra- the draft slots, I think this very yep. much. We we talk about uh, pass rusher because it's so easy to say like, oh, is it Darius Walks? You obviously have to have someone to come in and replace his reps. And we saw the issues with how shallow their their edge rushing depth was after all the injuries last year. But the defensive line is another one where it's like they have to address this maybe multiple times through the draft. Yeah. So yeah. I, Logan Hall is the guy. I would have had as kind of my pick at at 28 coming into this from Houston. He ran as a defensive end. He is not a defensive end. He is an interior guy. Um, He has not played football for a long time. He has just recently gotten to the size that he's at. He did pretty well at the combine too. So he's a name to check out. Yeah. And I mean, I I wrote up for him earlier uh, this week, but I keep coming back to Thomas Booker out of Stanford. Um, Again, I mentioned him as as one of the better interviews, but he backed it up with, uh, you know, a sub four, nine, five, 40. And then really, really good agility times for him too, which uh, I think plays well for him. So um, he might be one of those, those early day three guys. If you're looking for somebody in the the fourth or fifth round, he played that four I at Stanford, kind of the same position that uh, the Trayvon Walker played. And then, um, you know, he's played all the way down to to three and and two I in, uh, in their nickel stuff. So I think he'd be a, a really good fit for, you know, for the Packers as like a, you know, one of maybe as a, as a rotational five tech with, with Lowry, or, you know, you could probably put him at the three as well. I mean, they're going to need it between yep. Lowry, Kingsley Kiki, and then Tyler Lancaster snaps. Like they're simply going to have to, they, they need someone, to, they need bodies. They need yep. bodies. Yep. Um, linebacker, Leo Chanel. Talk about him. Let's go. Chanel. Yeah. Yeah. The pride of Grantsburg, Wisconsin, one of like 12 Chanel's that, uh, that came out of that family. I think they adopted a bunch of kids, but, uh, his brother, John is the, the Badgers fullback. And he said, John's the toughest blocker that he's ever faced, uh, at Wisconsin or, you know, in, in, on another team, but, uh, he's one of the big 
biggest linebackers in this class too. Six three, a, a nice two fifty, and then he went out and ran a four five three, which that shows up on tape. I think that he didn't do the agilities, and I, I, I will be curious to see what he runs at pro day in a couple of weeks. But um, if you're looking for a guy who, if, if Devondre Campbell walks, um, you know, sideline to sideline guy, uh, great great blitzer on the interior, and he kind of. You know, he, he reads his keys really well on um, on the interior line and, and kind of watching the quarterback. A lot of his sacks, he said, uh, came from from not designed pressures, but um, just kind of the, the Badgers inside linebackers being freed up to kind of read the read the offense and and, you know, blitz if they if they think the, the gap is there and the, the opportunity is there. And and so, um, yeah, I think he'd be a really interesting uh, player in you know that late day two range to to fill in for Campbell if he ends up walking in free agency. Eighteen linebackers ran a four six nine or better. the The training is just getting better and better for these guys. Yeah, I think like yep, we're gonna have to like kind of reevaluate like what what athleticism looks like because I don't I don't think going back to data from two thousand five or. 1980 or whatever is going to be accurate anymore just because all of these guys are getting enough training where they're just flying man they're all flying i really wonder when you know when was the the point when you know this this training cycle kind of kicked into gear right was it was it 2005 was it 2010 i mean i wonder if you can go back and really look through the data and figure out you know when the the training academies and things really really started having as much of an impact on times as they have. I, I think my honest answer would be it probably started creeping up after the 2011 CBA because after the 2011 CBA, right. Was when the players essentially negotiated that we're not going to work out at team facilities over the off season, which then kind of bit them in the ass because then they then had to pay other people to train them in the off season instead of going to whatever their program was for free. Um, because it's not like they're just going to sit on their butts from, huh. you know, January through June or whatever it is. So I think that being built up as like the apparatus around the NFL in terms of training is probably the answer. Like when all these guys start to go to Exos over the summer and stuff yeah. like that, and everyone just flocks to Arizona and Texas, whatever, um, I think that's probably the answer, honestly. So yeah. I, I don't know. That'd be interesting to see, like comparing RAS scores, right? Of like entire draft classes, you know, year to year, yeah. starting with that season. Um, defensive backs, I didn't, I didn't see much of them today. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, you have a couple names down here that I do not recognize. Yeah. So, so Dax Hill is one that um, Big Ten fans will probably remember. He was the uh, Michigan safety who this last year moved more into like a slot, a nickel role. Um, and he, he tested great too. Um, I think he had maybe the best three cone time of anybody at the draft. It was a six, five, seven and, uh, going with a four, three, eight, 40, um, kind of hits the Packers size requirements. And I mean, he's, he's six foot. So you've got the height there about one ninety one. probably could bulk up a little bit, but, um, I, I, I was really trying to keep an eye on the safety class and, and like the nickel corners, the big nickel guys, because I, I really think, um, you know, if we do get, we do see the Packers bring back Jair, uh, that probably means Russell's gone. You've probably, you know, you've got Jair and Stokes on the outside. Chandon Sullivan's a free agent. Um, and I think you're going to need somebody to come in there and, and contribute at that nickel spot that, that they're not going to have on the roster. I don't, 
you know, I don't see Shamar John Charles being the guy. I was going to say, I mean, that's the decision, (laughs) right? It's draft day and it's, hey, do we take this guy or are we playing Shamar John Charles for for 17 games? Yeah, and and I like the idea of the the third safety kind of playing that nickel being a little bit more physical, but Hill has has great movement skills too. And and I think he can... um, he'll be able to chop it up inside. So um, that's one name that I would keep an eye on. I know Tyler's been really big on Jalen Petrie from, from Baylor, but um, yeah, D- Dax Hill is the one who's at least on his workout today uh, was the one that jumped out to me. A couple other names that, that had really good workouts. Uh, Tyson Anderson. He's a guy from I've uh, seen Toledo. a little bit of him. I've seen the clips of him today. Yeah. Like the people tweeting now all 22 of him today. He is like fluid as hell. And I was kind of surprised yeah. he's, he's 200 plus pounds. That looks like a guy who can play a slot for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but another you know tremendous workout. Basically, same kind of numbers as Hill, and and they list him at two at six two and two oh nine. So that's a that's a big physical dude. Um, you figure you could you know potentially play him at either either safety spot or at nickel. And then the the, the workout that everybody I think was talking about late was Zion McCollum out of Sam Houston State. Uh, 433, 39 and a half inch vert, 11 foot broad, and the only guy that go under 6'5 in the cone. Um, I don't know if this guy Flying. can play. I don't, I have no idea if this guy can play at all, but my God, is he an athlete? If nothing else, I mean, we need special teamers. Give, right? give him, to, yeah, <laughs> give, give him to Jerry Gray, give him to Rich Basaccia, you know, throw a, throw a six round pick at him and, and give him to Rich and, and have him fly down on, on, you know, on special teams. I'm, Let's do it. He's a big guy too. He's 6'2", 200. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm shocked at how some of these, these bigger DBs are, um, you know, are putting up these kind of numbers and in, in some of these agilities too. One guy to get back to linebackers. I forgot to make this point. One guy you're going to hear a good amount from me about Quay Walker from yeah. Georgia. He is 6'4", 241 pounds, runs a four five two. He was kind of the guy. So, like, we, we explained about uh, Georgia's defense already. They, they stunt the front a ton. They have to send inside backers, corners, uh, slot corners, safeties on blitzes all the time. Walker was a guy who was asked to take on guards head on a ton as kind of like the, the blitz pick guy. Um, so, N'Kobe Dean could kind of just fly sideline to sideline. If Walker is there in, like, the second round or something, or even if the Packers trade back from the first – and Devondre Campbell can't be brought back. This is like one of the few dudes I think who can like actually like come in day one, be a starter and be like the single linebacker out there when they're in their like penny looks and stuff. So I'm, I was really excited to see him put up numbers like that. My big thing is like, I just don't know if he's going to be there. Cause I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised, frankly, if there's people in the league who look at him and say like, because of Dean's size, there's, there's a chance that Quay Walker is going to be the better pro. Right. Yeah. And we just saw uh, Devin Lloyd run one of the slower, quote unquote, slower 40 times among inside linebackers at like a four, six, six or something like that. The, uh, you know, I think probably consensus number one inside linebacker in this class. And he was converted to safety. So his whole pitch was athleticism and he doesn't end up testing like it. So I could see Walker being a riser pretty quickly. He's a name that people are going to hear about a ton. Well, and I'm just going to I'm just going to put this out there. Quay Walker, 6'4", 241, 4'5", 240, 11-foot broad jump. Devondre Campbell, 6'4", 232, 4'5", 40, 10-foot, 6-inch broad jump. Like, those those numbers, like, you, you can 
it, it, it almost it's, feels like they're about like a carbon copy of each other physically, yes. right? Yeah. He, he Quay Walker is the type, like he is like the Patriots type of inside linebacker where like if he ends up in like New England, like dude is just going to be an all pro for like yeah. 10 years. Like it's going to be sick. Um, there, there's th- That's one of the things with the inside linebackers I wonder about a lot. A lot of these guys are running well, but they're also getting smaller. It, it's not like the other positions where like offensive tackle, you look at offensive tackle yeah. and compare it to uh, historical numbers and you're like, well, not only are they faster, but they're also bigger now linebacker is the opposite where there's not that many guys who are like clearly over like 235 well right that's and that's why i mentioned chanel right like him Mm -hmm. being a a 250 pound linebacker that's almost a throwback at this point you don't see those guys still playing inside i even asked him like have teams talked to you about playing the edge at all because of how big you are um he said no but i i think probably just because the you know the tape is there uh of him playing inside so well but um, yeah, I, I, I do think you see a lot of these guys, the, the bigger, the 245 plus, once you hit that number, you're moving off to the edge and you're becoming a pass rusher. Yeah. Um, between, and, and they, they value so much athleticism, end, right? I think yeah. too. Tight yep. end is just stealing so many of those yep. body types now where you're getting those kind of mixed athletes um, on the offensive side that wouldn't necessarily be there anymore. And running back, frankly, like a ton of teams recruited guys like Derrick Henry to play linebacker. Yeah. He was like, nope, I'm going to play running back. So I think <laughs> well, there's for- a lot of reasons why like line, like off-ball linebacker is probably one of the shallowest talent, like positions in terms of talent at the NFL level, despite so many of like the college athletes playing that at the high school level, if that right. makes any sense. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, any other notes? No, I think that, uh, that pretty well covers it for me. We've, uh, I'll be going back through the next couple of weeks and, and going through all the audio that we've got. And we'll probably have some, some write-ups on some of these guys from, from the combine. Um, we've got a couple of storylines that we want to go back and, um, and look through. So we'll try to try to have something on maybe on pass blocking for running backs. We asked a bunch of guys about that. Um, some stuff from, uh, from Tyler on setting the edge as an edge rusher. So keep an eye out for those types of things, but uh, we'll, we'll continue to, to gradually, uh, be putting some some of that information we collected this last week out there on Acme Packing Company in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Um, this is probably going to run Monday, Tuesday. We're going to have a pod with me and Tyler talking about the edge class because I've finally seen those guys. And, you know, now that most of them have run to at least a certain extent, we can make a better judgment on them. And then uh, hopefully Roger says he's coming back on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with an emergency pod uh, Tuesday night into yep. Wednesday. Hey. Yep. Uh, yeah, push notifications on for the McAfee show. <laughs> Every Tuesday. Uh, the waiting is the hardest part. <laughs> All right, take care, guys. Go, Pat, go. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.